0: I don't feel excluded. You know, I I feel like I belong. I feel like I can bring my whole self to work. I don't think I need to be someone else. I'm not worried about the definition of professionalism because to me, professionalism is the new ism (laughs) that excludes people, um, that upholds oppression (laughs) and systemic structure that was built to exclude people. I don't want to have to worry about that. I just want to come to work, do a great job, know I'm doing a great job, and receive the same everything else that any other person would get because I did a great job.
1: Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook or at goodmorninghr.com. This podcast is all about leaders who bring people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. But when intentional or unintentional roadblocks are unnecessarily set in front of employees in the workplace, the entire organization suffers. And when those roadblocks are based on physical or cultural issues unrelated to an employee's ability to thrive in an organization, the whole community suffers. What ought an employer do to ensure that they are recruiting, selecting, onboarding, and professionally growing individuals from a wide variety of backgrounds? What beliefs or customs must they discard in order to build workplaces that reflect the larger community? Well, today's guest has been a dear friend of mine for at least a decade. I've had the privilege of watching her grow professionally from working in an HR office of one in a company that really didn't value HR to her current role as chief people officer for Juiceland, the best smoothies and juice in Texas, with over 30 locations across the state. She's also an adjunct professor at the University of Texas and a sought-after speaker on diversity and inclusion issues, including her TEDx talk on busting the stereotype of the angry Black woman. Angela Shaw, thank you so much for being with me today.
0: Hello, Mike Coffey. I am honored to be here and excited about our conversation today.
1: Well, it's, it's, it'll be fun and I hope challenging, for certainly for me, but uh, I hope for our audience too. You've worked on DNI issues in both the public and private sectors. What do you see as the difference between implementing a program like that in a privately owned company or a, uh, versus a government entity?
0: Well, I think anybody would agree that it's probably the red tape that you have to go through to get anything approved and paid for when it comes to the government. But honestly, to me, it's a discussion of the chicken or the egg, like which comes first and what an organization, whether they are government or not, is doing, just having movement on the path, period. What part of DEI are they starting with? I think that really is similar in any kind of organization. And I think if we want to see real movement, it's more about how all organizations kind of work together and look at each other as examples to be able to just move forward and have like some real movement towards it. So not that there isn't a discussion about the difference between the two industries, but I think we should focus on how we actually have action, like period.
1: Well, let's talk about those terms then. You've got diversity, equity, inclusion. What is diversity? What, how do you, what's, it's, it's, all these terms are ever evolving. And what we say today in three years, we'll probably have a different de- definition. But what do you, when you're talking about diversity today to other business leaders, what are you talking about?
0: Differences in how people who are in organizations are different. That, that really is what it boils down to. I think people talk a lot about very common factors that we all know. So race and gender are probably the most common factors, but we also know sexual orientation is becoming a really big topic when it comes to diversity, but also veteran status, parental status, education status. There are just so many factors that we should be thinking about big picture definition of diversity.
1: Okay. So diversity, just having a bunch of different people in the room yes, uh, with all kinds of backgrounds. Then what is equity?
0: So equity is that everyone has the opportunity for the same things across the board. So how I am selected to come into an organization and I'm being compared to the same standards as anybody else. When I come into the organization that I am treated the same, that my total compensation is the same, that we are using using actual standards that keep the impact equal, right? The impact of whatever it is, that it is equal. And so whatever things we put into place, whatever resources we provide for that impact to always be equal is equity to me. So how I grow, how I get the opportunity to grow, how I'm developed, how I'm retained and that someone cares about, I'm being retained to me, that's equity.
1: So back in, you know, Title VII 101, you're talking about both really disparate treatment and disparate impact then, right? What the, you know, this this may not be a policy we put in place specifically to affect this group, right? but we don't have a business case for this policy and it's creating an impact on that group. And so- Unless-
0: Let's talk a little bit about the difference between those two, right? So disparate treatment is I am on purpose treating a group different (laughs) based on a factor. And then the disparate impact is I have a rule across the board that affects groups differently. And we should care about people being affected differently, which is why I talk about this equal opportunity. So this, this opportunity that I have the same and that we put whatever resources into place that everyone has the same opportunity. And that's how you counteract the disparate impact that can happen.
1: And that's probably, and we can circle back, but I think that idea that one of the thing, one of the com- complaints that you hear business, you know, business leaders or maybe not business leaders as much as detractors of DEI say is that uh, you're looking for equal outcomes regardless of, of background, even though different backgrounds may you know, education levels and opportunities people had that were far outside of that employer's control could affect uh how a particular individual succeeds in an organization. Um and so are you when you're talking about equity talking about equal outcomes for for everybody or are you talking about a meritocracy where some people have the opportunity well everybody has the opportunity, but those who have the skills, knowledge and whatever else it takes to succeed in the organization, are able to do so.
0: So in order to give equal outcomes, right, that sometimes that sometimes means that you have to do different things. So it, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know how I can work meritocracy into that, right? But I think that when it comes to equal outcomes, it it means that everybody doesn't, um, everyone doesn't need the same resources to to get to equal outcomes. And of course, it's complicated because you talked about how different individuals had different experiences, different backgrounds, maybe this person didn't have the opportunity to go to college, but how do we change what we do to give those equal outcomes?
1: So... Okay, um, but there are, I mean, there are skill sets and things like that that employers, by and large, you know, don't want to train everybody on on how to do their job. I mean, you know, the, the unique things that are, that come with doing the job, yeah, in our organizations is how we do it. Employers definitely should and, you know, need to uh, do the training around those issues. But the expectation, and just clear, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think your expectation is um, – that an employer rework their their system to identify people who wouldn't otherwise be qualified for a position and give them that opportunity to to you know to you know at the employer's time and expense to build build them into that role. What you, you know, but the you know, but all things being roughly equal, everybody has the same opportunity uh, to succeed or not.
0: I would say overall it is not my opinion that an employer completely reworks whatever they're doing to include other people. So I would say overall that's not what I'm saying. I would say that there are already underrepresented people who meet the requirements but are being excluded <laughs> because right. of these factors being given value. So I
1: So give I me some say, examples of those factors. The I dare factors, I dare say
0: it's two different conversations, right?
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, so women not being hired because we think they're going to have babies and not be here. Um, Black people not being hired because there's this bias that we have that we think black people are not educated enough or have enough experience or knowledge to do this job. There's also this um, unconscious bias that everybody loves to talk about, which is uh, something in you that makes you take action that has negative impact on other people. And how are employers trying to Think about that, counteract that, and make sure that that is not a reason why they're not hiring people with underrepresented factors, women, veterans, parents, black people, Hispanic people, you know, how, how are they thinking about that and counteracting that, which we all know is happening?
1: Sure. And, and I'm going to, this, I've, I've begun to, this is, uh the 11th, I think 10th or 11th episode of, of podcast. I'm using the podcast often as a confessional of sorts for myself. Um, the, uh, my concern, I've never had, uh, you know, concerns around people's color of people's hair. And, you know, I've got, I've got some employees who are a lot more creative than my 52 year old self is about, uh, hair and how I present and present myself. Uh, and, um, but we have uh, signature blocks on all our emails with people's pictures on them. And it's it's great, you know, because our our clients almost never meet us uh, or see us. But it's been great over the last several years to have those. So people have an idea who they're talking to, and it builds a relationship, I think. But uh, one day, I started noticing I'm getting employees with blue hair and magenta hair and different colors. And that, for me, was... a uh, was you know kind of a, an issue. Uh, I just had to think, okay, is this what is this going to look like to employers or to clients? And does this make us look less professional and all that? And ultimately, I had to say, it's kind of on them if it does. It's 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 on the uh, the the client. And uh, uh, fortunately, most of my clients are HR folks, and so it's not you know there. We tend, I think, HR, as HR people, to be more accepting than maybe your your routine accounting firm or something like that. But um, but you know, so I think it's something we all struggle with, and it's not all always because we have we place a value on something, but we're concerned about what that may be mean for our business. But I think ultimately, when we think about it, just doing the right thing tends to come out uh, on the on the side of the non conforming, the right, the right or the, yeah. yeah, yeah, the non conforming or the diverse uh, candidate, the
0: non judgmental
1: side, yeah. the right side. I I will add a caveat
0: to that though. Um, There are some um, characteristics that people have the ability to change, hair color, tattoos, piercings, right? But there are other characteristics that people don't have the opportunity to change, like the color of my skin. And so when we think about the comparison of you didn't hire somebody because they had blue hair versus you didn't hire somebody because they were black, it's not an apples to apples comparison, and so while we want to have a big picture view of DEI, we also want to remember that there are some nuances there, that there's a difference between my hair being blue and I'm a black woman.
1: Okay. That's, that's a good point. And then inclusion. So we talked about diversity and equity. Uh, where does inclusion fit into that? What does that feel like?
0: I don't feel excluded. Okay. You oh. know, I, I feel like I belong. I feel like I can bring my whole self to work. I don't think I need to be someone else. I'm not worried about the definition of professionalism because to me, professionalism is the new ism <laughs> that excludes oh, wow. people, um, that upholds oppression <laughs> and systemic structure that was built to exclude people. I don't want to have to worry about that. I just want to come to work, do a great job, know I'm doing a great job and receive the same everything else that any other person would get because I did a great job. So I think naysayers or people who are against diversity, equity, and inclusion, they always want to find, they all the things that they want to find, like why it doesn't work, aren't the things. So, oh, we're, we have to lower our standards. That's really not what it is. There are qualified people who have factors that are underrepresented who are just not getting opportunity. So I'm lucky enough to have gotten opportunity to have ascended my career. And when I go to work every day, I want to be judged on these bodies of work that I built, Mike, (laughs) that you Mm -hmm. cannot discount, right? right? Not on the color of my skin and not because of my gender or any other any other thing about me. That's inclusion.
1: Let's, that's, that's good. Let's dive deeper into that professionalism then. So, you know, most organizations have something around, they want their employees to act professionally with one another. And certainly if they're client facing you know, they, they've got uh, some written or unwritten standard as to as far as quality of communications and, uh, you know, use of the English language, things like that. So talk to me about uh, English language or whatever language they operate in um, and what their customers uh, need in order to, to interact with them. Um, talk to me more about what you said about professionalism being an ism and, and how, how is that used to, uh, to unfairly uh, advantage or disadvantage one group or the other?
0: Yeah. And I would, again, introduce the caveat of characteristics that we can change versus those that we can't. Right. And so while I think it's unfair that someone says I'm not going to hire somebody with blue hair or whatever the characteristic that somebody can change is um, and being a black woman. Right. I feel like there's a difference. But the one that always comes to mind is natural hair. You know, we states have had to enact laws that say that you cannot discriminate against a black woman because of her natural hair or black people because of their natural hair. So things like dreadlocks or twists or any of the things that black people do, protective style that they wear um, for their hair and being discriminated against because that's not professional. Okay. It, it doesn't fall under the definition of professionalism. Um, even recently, I've heard a lot of women talking about not wearing makeup. And that being held against them as a standard of professionalism. So, these are some of the like common ones that happen quite a bit where someone else's definition is put on everybody and, be, and held against them. So, we always talk about an HR. Everybody knows this, right? To build a good job description, it's always about knowledge, skills, and ability, right? Right. They didn't talk about makeup. They didn't talk about natural hair. They didn't talk about, like any of this stuff is not included. So I think as HR people, as employers, even as individuals, like let's put context on what we're making decisions about and what we're using to make those decisions. And that's where I would say professionalism, that people are not thinking about what the actual decision we're making is about and what we need to be able to make that decision.
1: And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on recert credits. Then select episode 11 and enter the keyword Angela, that is A-N-G-E-L-A. On Thursday, September 30th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Beyond Values, Building an Ethical Business Environment. This webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM-certified professionals and one hour of business recertification credit for HRCI-certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this program after September 30th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit. And now back to my conversation with Angela Shaw. So as you're talking to business leaders about DEI programs, um, what what are the components? If, if you were gonna come into my organization and say, okay, um, you know, in order to be a diverse, equitable and inclusive organization, Let's start with these three or four pillars. What would what would you, where would you start us at, and what would be in a program like that?
0: So I would start with education, and then I would start with what action we take, and then the last thing would be accountability. So how do we hold ourselves accountable to what we've said we are going to do? And I think that there are a lot of different ways in which you do that. But when it comes to education, I think you need to hit a lot of different like um, cylinders, right? So Information needs to be coming in on a regular basis from all kinds of places to be able to get to a within your organization, um, shared knowledge, shared beliefs and shared behavior. And once you have agreement on that, that's what you hold people accountable to. Right. So you're talking uh,
1: culture there, right? Right. right. I mean, it's, you know. But
0: I hate to call it that because I feel like culture is a negative word that people again use in a bad way. Mm. <laughs> they use it in a bad way. It's used to exclude again because we keep talking about cultural fit versus ad to fit, to, to be in our, you know, the excuse for not getting a job, not a cultural fit. What does that even mean? you didn't go to this university or you Mm -hmm. didn't graduate from university or you don't have this specific type of experience. So yes, it's culture, but I just don't want to describe it as that. Right. So when we, when we make these agreements about this is the behavior in our organization that we want, and it should be based on like already existing values and mission, right? Almost every organization has that. This is how we want you To embody that you work for our organization. That's our definition. And we get this behavior that we agree upon. We've taken in this education. We've talked about all these different factors. We've gotten to this place of, I know I have bias and I need to counteract that. So we have this agreed upon behavior, which is hard enough. And there's still a lot of organizations that even have to get to that. They haven't even got to that yet. But if they've gotten to that, I really feel like the hardest part of the process is uninviting those people from the party who do not meet this definition. That has been the hardest part. So you have someone in your organization who is having behavior that suggests that they are racist, sexist, or discriminatory, but we don't uninvite them. We just let them continue to be here and torture and oppress people.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of bad managers. I had Terry Swain on a few episodes ago talking about how the pandemic uh, exposed a lot of bad managers. And there are a lot of people who we would tolerate their their management style, or they succeeded their management style uh, in person, you know, through intimidation or coercion, or just you know, old school management walk, you know, management by walking around. And then uh, when they didn't have employees in front of them all day, uh, the deficits in their real ability to be a leader were really evident. And uh, and so, but what you said about culture—that's interesting because culture. Uh, that when I'm doing my presentations on building culture, I always talk about culture being the unwritten set of rules about how things get done in the organization. And I think what you're saying is, yeah, there are there are cultures out there that get things done, but the way they get them done may not be uh, ideal for a lot of the, the candidate pool or employee base. Because and, and, it's and not that's inclusive. A, it's really good, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not so, inclusive. If you don't meet this criteria that we set for our culture, you are not a fit and we are excluding you. And if those organizations will look at the metrics of those people that they're excluding, I bet there would be some similarities in the kind of people that are being excluded, some disparate impact or treatment
1: going on. <laughs> interesting. So you said education, and then what was the second pillar? I, I should action. have Action. Okay. So what does that look like?
0: So action looks. You like, said uninviting
1: certain people, but beyond that, what does
0: it, look but like? it looks like we we do what we say. So we're not just out here putting a black square up. We didn't just make a statement, right? We didn't just. We're not just changing our logo colors. We are actually doing work, right? So we this action is is all encompassing. So it's our continuous education, it's uninviting people, it's the way we train our managers to have conversations to be empathetic, to not run from uncomfortable. All of that is the action part, like it's continuous and it is across the entire organization that this action needs to take place. And then that accountability, which again, it can look different ways, but yes, it's absolutely uninviting people. It's also looking at your metrics and like how your educating is affecting, how your action is affecting. You know, it takes place through surveys or exit interviews or having conversations with your employees about how they feel coming to work every day. That, that's all the accountability part that organizations can look at to see, are we having movement? You know, do people feel good about coming here? Would they recommend other people to come work here? That's our accountability piece.
1: You mentioned metrics. If if, if I implement a, a, a DEI program in my organization, how do I measure actual success? What does that look like in six months, a year, or are we talking two or three years to take to make a viable change.
0: Yeah, so I think it's at, at all of those intervals, but it's who do we bring in and do they stay? I mean, okay. I feel like that is the biggest metric right there. So who do we bring in and they all look different and did they stay? And, and so I think that,
1: and so it's that's not all, just a matter of counting noses though, it's about finding fully qualified candidates. You're not compromising correct. quality or anything like And I think that's correct. one of the things that uh, people uh, who, you know, automatically respond negatively to I know these kind Mike, of but programs. it's an
0: excuse. It is just an excuse because they don't want to give up power, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't want to be uncomfortable. That's why people come up with excuses.
1: Interesting. And so, so all those metrics over some period of time will know if we're successful or not if productivity and performance is the same or better and our workforce Looks more like the community around us. yes, okay. And people push back against that. What kind of you mentioned, you know what or just what kind of pushback do you hear from business leaders either you know opposition or just fear? What do you hear back from them about why they don't want to implement something like that?
0: They don't have time. We don't have time to be intentional or to put this extra work into that. That's not the most important thing right so it just happens organically we hire the best talent i would be embarrassed though if to say i hired the best talent and there is no diversity on my my talent team i would be embarrassed by that and that would make me want to go be, be intentional um and so i would say they need to break down those reasons right so let's just take that one that we just talked about i hired the best talent for my team which means I don't have to pay attention to diversity because I'm just hiring the best talent, right? Right. So, breaking that down as the reason, so what you're saying is there's no underrepresented person that has the skill set you're looking for. That's really what you're saying. That the definition of best talent never includes a black person, a Hispanic person, a woman. It never includes that. I mean, I would have to break that down. I just, that is not the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when you ask that question, it's not the truth, Mike I mean is that the truth?
1: And I think when our you know when our when our recruiting strategies are heavily focused on current employee referrals and uh, and posting to the same set of job boards that we all post to, um, maybe we're missing a lot of those candidates uh, so and you know certainly employers of a certain size have affirmative action plans in place and, uh, but unfortunately we all know that those are, those, EO you know, reporting is, uh, you know, largely a, a numbers game and you can, it is. you can make an organization look, and if you really want to do it right, I think what I'm hearing from you is you got to do a little extra work, uh, in your recruiting and selection process.
0: And you might be surprised to know I'm actually not a fan of affirmative action plans. Oh, I
1: don't um, think anybody who's ever been in HR more than a week is. Not but. just because <laughs> I'm in
0: HR, but I feel like it. Perpetuates the myth that there are not qualified people out there and Ah. that you only hire for numbers. It perpetuates that. And so, as a person personally who has worked very hard to be an expert in my field, that reflects negatively on me. And I don't like it. (laughs) And I don't like it.
1: (laughs) Well, Let's talk about your TEDx talk. let's wrap I want to wrap up with that because I, I thought it was a you know I, I was privileged I got to see an early version of it and, uh, and and then you know it went out there and and had got a lot of traction. I was honestly it's the internet and maybe I shouldn't have been so shocked. I was you got a lot of, a lot of positive thumbs up and a lot of positive comments but there was some real vitriol out there uh, in those comments. There was. Tell me about what your response to that was. Because I hurt for you. So, I mean, I I just, I couldn't imagine it.
0: It was definitely surprising. I have to tell you that. It was very surprising. And it was very hurtful because these are people who don't even know me. They don't know anything about me at all to just come and make. I mean, they attacked everything from my dating life to my parents. Like It was just, I could not believe it. (laughs) Um, so surprising, definitely. But I think one of the things about me, and you know this, um, I'm very confident. But this confidence comes from, again, bodies of work that people cannot discount. They can say whatever they want. But listen, Angela Shaw, she worked hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, she anybody, don't and she don't play. <laughs> and anybody who knows me will say that. And I find comfort in that. So I find comfort in knowing the truth and that anybody who knows me knows the truth also. Um, so I just really try to find comfort in that. And honestly, I just stopped reading. I mean, I would go like every month and just like, and I just had to stop because I was like, that's crazy. And I think the other part is I did have so many supportive people reach out, strangers that I didn't know. Um, and most often black women, um, because a lot of times if you're in an underrepresented group, you do feel unheard, unloved, like nobody cares about you. And you may not feel like you could be the one speaking up. So I got a lot of support from Black women who said, I'm so proud of you, and you also told my story. And I thought nobody else knew my story. That, I mean, it gives me chills right now. Like, that's a, that that's special. So that's for every, every person who made an ugly comment or whatever, I think about those people who tell me that I told their story I didn't even know them, and they didn't know that someone else experienced their story and could speak up about it. So, you know, I'm going to live there. That's where I'm going to live. That's, I like it there.
1: That's a good, <laughs> that's a good place to be, and, and that's the right perspective. So uh, thank you for joining us. That's all the time we've got today, but I really do appreciate you making the time to be part of me and for being my friend for all these years Uh uh, we first met when you were at Williamson County HR and y'all had me down to speak and you took me to dinner the night before. And I was like, uh, any, any woman that'll take me out to dinner and pay for it. I'm, I'm on board. I love this lady.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I'm not scared, Mike. I'm no, like, come on, no. let's go. We're going to dinner.
1: It was good. Well, thank you, Angela.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Sure. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for Angela at GoodMorningHR.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator. Katie Bautista keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, if I can ever do anything for you personally or professionally, don't hesitate to reach out. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well and keep your chin up.